Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Reminds me, what is Paul Bearer doing these days? Paul Bearer, sadly, is um, no longer with us. No way. Yeah. Like wasps and Worcester. Soon to, yes. to, Soon be, to be departed dearly wasps and Worcester. Uh, I'm Tim, that's JB. Hello, Tim. Uh, welcome to this Egg Chasers emergency podcast, hastily arranged, and yeah, with an unexpected, well, no, not totally unexpected story, but the timing of it was unexpected. Yes. Well, so so. Oh, yeah. sorry. Let's just briefly re- recap. What so what's happened, JB? You're a financial advisor, so I defer to you on I, such I, I sell pensions, mate. I sell pensions <laughs> and ISAs. Don't ask me about how wasps got themselves into this state. But broadly speaking, Worcester today, wasps. The Worcester today. Oh, okay. Uh, were told, written to by the RFU, that they have to provide a credible financial plan. They have to provide. Uh, details of the insurance and if they don't do it by a certain deadline they will be banned they've had a few they've given themselves a few deadlines lately 48 hours oh another 48 hours 48 hours promise I think at this point it's fair to say the Worcester owners are not very credible individuals no so well, well, they have they have a hard they have a hard deadline with HMRC on the is it on the 6th of October um, or, or, with, or with someone where money is due. There are lots of hard deadlines everywhere with these guys, yeah. including staff wages and yeah. you know, everyone else. So I think at this point we just say Worcester are done. That's the end of Worcester. Although they are playing right now. And the team includes um, one of their old players, Matt Gilbert, who I believe is playing like level six until recently. He's laced up his boots, not played, for, I think, for about four years. Wow. Professional. Uh, one of the transition coaches is, is playing. And here's the thing, Tim. 
I was thinking today, God, if only I'd have known they were desperate for players. Like, legitimately, I said, Dimes, come on. Come on, mate. I, I've said some nice things about you. Just give me one game in the Premiership Cup. I'd do that. I'd play Premiership Cup on, on, on the flank for Worcester. It'd be the proudest moment of your rugby career. I know. I was thinking, like, how many lads have got five gas lads playing Premiership Cup tonight? I was like, wow. I mean, it's not great if you're a Worcester fan, but... It was I like would... during COVID times when Sale were trying to get that game on and oh, I was they so were desperate. roping everybody in. Yeah, it reminded me of when I was, like, 21 at Colmore Rugby Club and the coach turned around to me and said, Jay, do you know under, any under-21s that would be available for North Wales? And then my heart sank. I thought I thought he was going to ask me to play uh, North, North Wales, but he never did. So yeah, I did uh, hint quite strongly to Sale that I would happily play for um, for them in that game. But they went with uh, ex All Black. Um, what's his name? Sa- 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 uh, Sammy T. Yeah, yeah, it happens, uh, doesn't it? So that's the Worcester situation. The new bit, the new news. Well, the new news is, is if I hang on for a week, I might not be good enough to play for Worcester, but I will be good enough to play for Wasps <laughs> because. Um, They've filed for administration. Mm. They've asked the High Court. This is a public document now. Uh, It was reported by the Times, the business section originally, and then picked up by Alex Lowe, which is one hell of a scoop, saying that, uh, yeah, they are going into administration. And the RFU rules are very clear about this. You go to the bottom of the pyramid, much like London Welsh did. So what happens to Wasps next? I do not know. Okay, so, okay, so... Financial and logistic stuff. I, th- I actually think I've been got my wires crossed, and it, the sixth of October was the hard deadline on Wasps bond money being due. Could well be because they refinanced their debt, issued bonds. I mean, I can't imagine anyone that that bought those bonds had any. Pr- honestly, thought I think it was a load of fans just chipping in a little bit. Do you but- know? I don't think it was. I think it was a bit more serious than that. I think it was a seventeen million quid commercial bond. About I want to say about seven years ago. So that person was was expecting Those their money people. back and and a yeah. return on the investment. So wasps are caught a little bit between a rock and a hard place here. They're kind of a little bit too big to go to the bond market and issue a bond. Sorry, what am I talking about? They're a little too big to go to a private in, um, uh, individual and ask for a bond, and they're far too small for any big institutions to um, provide them with bonds. So they're right in the middle there. And that's a problem which I've got, because if you think about it, Wasps have a fan base which is traditionally very London-centric uh, and steeped in financial services. So you'd have thought if anyone would have the contacts to raise a new bond or a new uh, round of funding, it'd be Wasps. But they're just this weird-sized club who also, let's face it, are not a great credit risk. And, uh, yeah, they've, they've, they've really struggled to refinance, and that's what this is a product of. Yeah. Now, interestingly, um, a club owner was telling me that it, the Wasps were always on borrowed time. You know, they always had this loan, and it's always going to be going to need to be refinanced. And at some point, well, that's exactly what's happened. So, COVID has undoubtedly sped up the process. It's expedited the demise, but... Well, two things have. CVC has, the parasite that killed the host. Yeah, and again, go back to the... if you Find the date of when the CVC deal was being negotiated and signed through and go back and listen to the podcast then and you will find a lot of what JB said then prophetic, to be honest. Mm. And I, you know, I, I don't make a habit of blowing smoke up your backside, but... You, you were only wrong in how right you were. Yeah, sadly, sadly. Well, I don't think any business can live with a third of its central revenues just just disappearing and mm. none of their costs decreasing. Now, I thought COVID might save them, strangely, 
But actually all that happened is all that reserve CVC money, I think, I might be talking nonsense now, but I think the Premiership's in that, Premiership has something like 20 million quid for advertising. All of that got blown on COVID. And that's understandable. That is understandable. Uh, it was an emergency situation. But whatever strategy they had pre-COVID, well, that's all gone. Um, and all the money to support that strategy has now gone. The reason I thought COVID might be their escape route is the reduction in salaries. I thought this was really important. But, you know, really, that reduction in salaries is, what, 25%? Reduction of central revenues is about 30%. It just doesn't stack up, unfortunately. And I am not... I wouldn't be surprised if people are looking to the future and thinking, will people come to games? I don't think they will. Will clubs be able to afford the electricity bills when they're already losing money? I don't think they will. And what about something else you said back in August? Yeah, this is... Was people aren't considering the logistics of actually putting on a game. Will it be be achievable? It's not happening. It's not happening. Uh, I believe I said this, this league will not finish. I don't think it will. I can't see how it's going to finish. The Premiership have to get rid of Wasps. They have to get rid of Worcester now. There's no other way for it. They've, they've, these teams have got to go. What happens? So, it, okay, I understand that. So there's, there's the one thing, what do the Premiership do? There's the RFU rules. Are Wasps and Worcester RFU clubs? Yes, everyone is. Are they so? They are subject to the RFU rules that they go to the bottom of the league pyramid. Yep. Uh, I mean, the, I just don't see that happening. They'll find. No, I don't see that happening. Because enough. we've seen enough from Premiership Rugby to know that they kind of mark their own homework in that way. Well, this look, I love to beat up on Premiership Rugby. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm not suggesting they're doing anything wrong with that. And it's in their interests. Yeah, you give me, you give me an opportunity to beat beat them up. I will happily do so. In this case, it's not on them. It is RFU rules and regs. You know, the only reason that the Premiership can ring fence in the first place is because the RFU Council voted it through. So don't forget that. Even though the Premiership is the commercial body that holds all the commercial rights, it has very little in ways of power and, and regulatory So do you authority. think the RFU will... Let's just hypothetically say that both clubs go into administration and can no longer continue as an ongoing concern. Yep. Will the, R, will the RFU have the metal to do that and if they do should they why don't you ask a different question why don't you ask would the rfu have the metal to spend community funds which is which is what it'd have to be or borrow the money in order to keep worcester and wasps afloat and i don't think that's going to happen either because as unpopular as it would be to relegate these teams imagine how unpopular it would be if they i mean remember what happened when they cut all the community coaches that was you know shameful frankly It'd be even more shameful if they just recycled that money to keep these professional clubs going. So mm. that, that's how I look at it. I'm not saying they wouldn't do it, but I think when you've got a finite resource and you've got these two impending PR disasters, it's not a moral decision that they'll be making. Yeah. It is a practical decision, yeah, which the, is the least popular. Yeah, the difficulty here in any discussion of this is the difference between like when emotion comes into it then it clouds the situation. So if if you could be like, uh, what was that? What were, the, what were the the people in Star Trek that were just purely Vulcans? Vulcans. If you could be Vulcan about this, you would. Or, s- or their corrupt counterpart, the Romulans. <laughs> yeah. If you could just be Vulcan about this, you'd say, "Oh well, that's that. They're failed businesses. They can go, and we'll consolidate with the ones that that we've got." Yeah. And of course, the emotional part of it is the individuals affected, the families affected, the extended families affected. Um, and the history of the club and everyone that's ever played and what yeah. that what that club represents and means to communities and to, to individuals. But Wasps won't go away. 
you know, so Worcester won't go away. And in fact, Wasps have already got their backup plan. So in a lot... In a lot of ways, you don't need to worry about them. They have an amateur team, in the same way the London Welsh have an amateur team. So London Welsh went into administration, the whole pro side folded, but all of that history, everything else just rolled into London Welsh amateurs. And that's exactly what will happen to Wasps. And I think Worcester have an amateur team knocking about somewhere. So, in that respect, that's what they'll do, and that's what they should do. And, you know... The professional tier of rugby is a very, very small part of it. There's thousands of people that play this game every single week. And I know I said this already about Worcester. But if I was a Wasps fan, I'd be very, very sad about what's happened to Wasps, if indeed what happens to Wasps um, leads to relegation and whatnot. I'd be very sad. I'd be very sad for all the hard work and you know getting to the pinnacle and winning Europe and winning titles. I'd be very sad that that, that is, is over. On the other hand... It would be kind of cool to start from the beginning, wouldn't it? You know, you go to your local club, as you do, Tim. You get to shape what you do. You get to shape how the club feels and looks and runs and all those other things. Whereas if you join late to a bandwagon, like, say, Wasps, and then they decide to move to Coventry or whatever it is, you get very little say. You get very little say in any professional organisation. And really, in all honesty, nor should you, because they're professional organisations looking to turn a profit. So embrace it. If they're going to go down, you only get, what, 3,000 to 5,000 fans going to Wasps? I don't see why they couldn't get 2,000 fans going to the reopening of Wasps. What was that old, what was their old, what was their training ground? Like, yeah, that could be their home again. Uh, well, I can't um, remember where it is, somewhere in well, West they London. Currently, yeah. I mean, do they go back to London? Yeah. Maybe they should. I think. I think so before we get to that, is there a life raft for either of these clubs? Yes, a rich individual willing to bail them out. That could, is it. That could, is the that, only way out. Right. Maybe the other premiership clubs lend them some money. I don't see that, though. You know, I just can't see that for the life of me. Because also, the other premiership clubs will be looking at this and going, hang on, you led us down the garden path here. You're two games into our season. You promised us that you could play. And now you're pulling the rug from beneath us. You've ruined our product. You've ruined our league. You've ruined the point structure. You've really screwed us over. So if they had any goodwill with the league, I suspect that that is long gone. Long gone. Mm. It's a really, it's a real messy situation, and there's there's so many different factions and so many different things that are affected. What like what hap- What would you, do with the points? Yeah, what do you well with the points? The the players. The, the well, lots of things going on here. First of all, salary cap cannot change. We need to be strict on salary cap. Hey, oh, here's well, it already one. it already has changed. Well, well it already yeah, has it, been planned to go up. I wonder if they'll revise that. Well, will will they? Will they? Because, here's an interesting angle for you. Funny that Wasps decided to do this now, after that announcement. Because if I'm Derek Rawdon or, or Reardon or... or Richardson. Say, oh, sorry, Richardson, yes. Yeah. If I'm him, and I'm thinking, well, we might be able to do this, I might... He's not a wealthy guy. And I'm going to say he's not a wealthy guy. He might be worth 30 or 40 million, which everyone goes, oh, wow, that is quite wealthy. But it's not liquid wealth. So maybe he's looking at this and going, well, I can't put any more money into this. Liquid Wealth would be a great name for a perfume. Yes, uh, and liquid after, wealth. And shave. Love it. Anyway. Um, I can't put any more money into this, but, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, I could put some more money into this, but what would be the point? Because in two years' time, if things stay as they are, I need to find another million quid for the salary cap. And at which point, relegation might be back on the table. And whatever I've got now, I mean, whatever I liquidate for now might be worth more than a relegated Wasps in two years' time with a squad which is depleted, no assets. 
Well, so. uh, both Worcester and Wasps have one asset. They have one thirteenth or one fourteenth, is it, with CVC of Premiership share, Premiership yeah, shares. That's what, a what, that's a really that's a really messy one. That's that's jumping ahead because well, we haven't got to that yet. Well, there's a few things there. You are right, but it's very much like the Elon Musk situation. So I don't know if you know the conspiracy theory behind Elon Musk. Mm. The conspiracy theory is somewhere I along love lines. Conspiracy theory. Yes, here we go. It's somewhere along lines that he wanted to buy Twitter, not because he wanted to buy Twitter, because he wanted to extract X billion pounds worth of shares from Tesla without people realizing that he thinks Tesla is a no-go, if that makes sense. So if he's got reasons to do it, people aren't going to say, oh, actually, um, we're going to devalue uh, Tesla. And therefore, the remainder of his holding in Tesla keeps its value. I hope that's... I hope that Tesla... Very devious, isn't it? I hope that Tesla are not the uh, the single solution to the future that a lot of people <laughs> seem to be thinking it is. I'll be very happy if Elon Musk's... If Elon Musk is accurate in that. Well. For, for, num- for a number of reasons, which we don't need to go yeah. into. Well, so that is the conspiracy theory. He, it's a good way for him to extract his money. So you know, what I'm trying to tell you is, by maintaining the reputation of that business, he maintains the value of his shares. Well, the premiership reputation is in tatters now. So whatever those shares were worth, just by the fact that Wasps and Worcester are no longer valuable, means that the shares are probably a lot less valuable than the otherwise If you were CVC, would you not be, like, on the one hand going, oh, my goodness, what have we bought? On the other hand, thinking, we'll just let this controlled demolition of the premiership continue and then we will have a great reset and build back better? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good question. Where, What do CVC see in this? So I think they've been too clever by half here. They have built themselves a financial product which just extracts one-third of the commercial revenue from the premiership. They don't have an equity stake as such. Well, they do in a way, but effectively they don't because they don't have any of the debts, they don't have any of the liabilities. They just extract this money year after year. And this is obviously part of uh, what they... Well, part of the cause of Wasps and, and Worcester. Now, I don't think they have a solution. And not only that... Uh, I don't think they have the money for the solution either, because although the fund that they're in, I think it's a Series 7 or Series 8 fund, although that is... In, worth, in, in layman's terms, what does that mean? Yeah, it just means there's billions and billions okay. of quid of other people's money. Right. Okay, and that is part of the fund. I think it's a Series 7 or Series 8. So you and I will put our money in, and our money, a fraction of that, will go into buying... Your billions and my billions. Yes, exactly right. Uh, if you had a billion, I had a billion a fraction of our billions would go into Premiership Rugby, okay? It's not CVC's money. It's CVC do not have their own money invested. But CVC make money by running that fund. But, but I think there's an opportunity because these... This, I mean, we've had Simon Orange say he would he would be happy to sell. At the right price. At the right price. I don't we, think we, Simon Orange We've had Lance Bradley at uh, Gloucester saying similar. Mm-hmm. We've had... Is it Bath? Bruce Craig has sort of hinted that he would be happy to step back and yeah, get I, hand the reins to someone yeah. else. My point being, I think it's not beyond the realms of possibility that, except for maybe Steve Lansdowne at Bristol, and Leicester said they'd be happy to entertain a buyer again at the right price, potentially that price is coming down, down. every year yeah, but and C- CBC could buy the whole thing. Yeah, but CBC don't want it. If they wanted it, they, they, they would have bought it. So CBC want nothing to do with rugby. 
in terms of its liabilities. That's why they only bought the commercial revenue. The idea of CVC swooping in and buying rugby is fanciful. And I'll tell you why. It's because every single year they've got what they call a hurdle rate, which they need to hit. And that hurdle rate is an amount of growth. So if they're selling this fund to a pension fund, they're saying, look, aren't we clever? We've de- designed this um, this instrument which takes money from rugby but doesn't have to pay out any of the wages or any of the debt. If they went and bought all of rugby, even at a cut price, they'd just be losing money year after year. Now, they could turn it around, but that isn't going to increase their bottom line when they go back to their investors and and say, look, here's a hurdle rate. And I think we calculated it based on the money they gave premiership clubs and what they get in from commercial re- revenue, they only need to hold it for, what was it, was something like four or five years and they get their money back and then they're in yeah, profit. but yes and no, yeah. because of course when they bought it, inflation was X and now inflation is Y. Yes, correct. So, you know, I'm not entirely sure that the investors will be happy with that either. Yeah, fair. And I, you know, if there's a silver line to this, I'd like to see CVC get kicked in the face over and over again. Uh, I think they were so smug and they thought they were so clever doing this. They thought rugby was on its knees and they are correct and they acted like predators. They designed a completely unfair deal and the only reason that rugby accepted it is because it had to. And now it's all unravelling. And all of the expertise that they said they would provide, they have not done so. Uh, so what do they expect? I think when the history of professional rugby is written, this might be the turning point, second only to professionalism. Because all the owners now are going to have to gather around and go, right, it's about time we get some real governance. It's about time we play less games of a higher standard with less teams. Is that a closed league? I think it should be. And start again. And if they can't start again for whatever reason, just let the whole thing burn. I, that's what I would do. Just let it burn. Well, that's the, uh, it's only with hindsight that you I mean, I'm sure you would have been a, a lot more like this back in 2008. But my goodness me, as, as painful as it would have been in the short term, letting things fail when they're not quite right is, is no bad thing. Yeah, it's like putting out forest fires over and over again. You're yeah. just you're just building up fuel for the mega fire at some point and that's yeah I think I think your analogy on 2008 is exactly right if only we'd have taken the right action then we probably wouldn't be in this uh, in this mess now and then you compound that action with all the other actions well rugby is kind of uh, suffering from that and from that I mean COVID Um, yeah so I would like to see this being t- turned into into a, a bit of a positive, actually, and I think it probably will. It, it, this can't, what's happening can't continue. Yeah. So the situation we're at is it looks pretty dire for Worcester. It's now confirmed as being pretty dire for Wasps. I don't think anyone sees a a, a very generous, rug, very wealthy rugby fan swooping in to take up their losses. So it's we're all watching the RFU to see if they will follow through on the rules which they have or if there's some other way around this. And, um, yeah, just obviously wish the best to all the individuals that are concerned because it's... Uh, yeah, I don't think Wasps is, is the same situation as Worcester. I really don't. Mm. I think Wasps took a gamble. Uh, in hindsight, this gamble might have been reckless, moving to the stadium, taking the loan. I actually think... I think they were damned if they did, damned if they didn't. Yeah, I agree. If they stay where they were in Wickham, it was all over anyway. Yeah, I, they were heading to the championship and, you know, I, I think they took a gamble. It's not paid off. But I can honestly see a situation where the Wasps gamble, gamble had paid off. I really mm. do. It's just one of those things. 
if if success was guaranteed, everyone would follow that guaranteed path to success. And it's not, which is why we live in the society that we do and why you should admire people that take risks and work hard because it's not guaranteed. Wasps weren't guaranteed and they failed. Don't think there's any shame in that, but that's what's happened. Yeah. And that's where we are. As for, maybe just to broaden it out, and you, you raised quite an interesting point as you were just making us a brew before we came down to do this. You talked about the attitude and the process of building something. What, to, just describe what you meant by that. Yeah, so broadening this out, because of course everyone is talking about the demise of rugby, and I don't see this because I'm in my own little insular world. We talk about rugby a lot, we watch rugby a lot, you know, from where I'm standing. It actually seems in quite, 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 quite good health. And to be clear, if there was no rugby on TV, we'd still be able to get together on a Sunday night and talk about rugby that we've seen. Yeah, exactly right. And actually, if there was no professional rugby, we'd, we'd be even bigger experts in it because no one else is covering you know, <laughs> the levels 27 Man- Manchester scene. But uh, the, the reason I brought it up is because people are complaining that you know, grassroots is on its knees and you know, participation is down. And I, the first question I asked you when you came in, Tim, is... How are the lads? Oh, I've just come from. Um, I've just come to do this emergency podcast straight from coaching my son's team. Yeah, uh, how, under the lights at Broughton Park. How are the lads? How many were there? And the follow-up question is: Why do you think so many pe- so many lads are coming there? And I'll give you the short answer: It's because you've built a good a good proposition. And if you build a good proposition, people will come. And that's why I don't think it's in particularly much danger at Talk H because we've built a bloody brilliant brilliant proposition. Uh, and I think that now, I mean, this is a bit of a controversial thing to say for a rugby podcaster, but if I'm honest, I switched off from the Premiership about three weeks in. Sorry, three weeks before the season when the Worcester stuff happened. I just thought, this isn't going to be a competitive league. It's going to be a disaster. We're going to be talking more about the finances than we are about the rugby, which I don't mind so much, but I do lo- also love the rugby. And since then, I've switched all of my focus onto my local club rugby because I know that will be in existence literally forever. And the reason it'll be there is because you build good propositions. So I would just say that in the amateur game, we need to focus on building propositions that suit your local town, suit your local area, your local de- demographic. I believe we've done a very good job in Didsbury. Uh, but I don't think that is unique to Didsbury. I think that people can do this up and down the country. And that's exactly what the RFU should be pushing now. And that's what local unions and counties should be pushing now how do we get more people to play and that isn't changing the game no that isn't changing the laws that isn't a radical shift in culture there's nothing like that it's just building a good proposition for when the lads come up uh, sorry come to your session that they know they're either going to be improved uh, improved as players or they're going to be valued they're going to yeah. learn something yeah it's simple it, as that it can be um, it can be amateur rugby or elite elite level rugby the point is it's it's a couple of things you just described that you do at Tok H and I think the reason we had 24 lads turning up for Wednesday night training um, in the under 15s uh, is you understand who you're catering for yep so you, you understand your customer if you think about r- every player or everyone that turns up to your rugby club as a customer that would be no bad thing yep you you understand your customers and what makes them tick. What, what, what? So you switch training to one night a week. That's on, exactly right. Yeah, um, on a Wednesday rather than Tuesday, Thursday, as many clubs do, because that that's just understanding your customers. Well, yes. So a bit of background on that. I never spoke to us lots of times, but I was speaking to another coach. And this coach is saying, yeah, we're getting eight, eight to training. It's breaking my heart. I'm putting in all this time. The lads want to do well, but I'm only getting eight in training. Now, the lads always say they want to do well, but when push comes to shove, when it's a dark, rainy evening or whatnot, 
they don't want to show up, particularly if there's no guarantee of 15 lads or 30 lads being there. Well, if you move it to one night a week, you get a compounding effect. Not only do you get your Tuesday lads there, you'll probably get half your Thursday lads there. So if you're working on, say, eight guys, well, okay, you go, go up to 12 guys. Well, 12 guys you start to be able to do things with. So 12 guys becomes 15 guys. 15 guys think, bloody hell, I can do loads with these guys. So then you get 18 lads. Oh, okay, well, maybe we can start playing 15 aside soon. 30 lads. Last night we had we had just shy of 50 lads training at, at, at Hoc H. Now... Granted, we are in a city centre. We are the Saudi Arabia of natural resources, which is young men living in Didsbury. But to be honest, that compounding effect could work anywhere. And that's just a little cheap trick. Now, if you've got 50 lads training, then maybe you do go back to two nights a week. And when it drops a certain amount, then go back to one night a week. And to that end, there are a bunch of... See, no one at Broughton Park has asked our age group, how is it you've got so many lads? It's amazing, isn't it? No, no one's no one's asked, and, and our age group is like an oasis. The the team above struggle to get a team out. There is no team in the in the age group below us, mm. and we've got best part of thirty lads turning up. No one's asked us why. One of the big reasons why is we recognise we're in Manchester. Football's massive. A load of lads like rugby, but they also like football. So we have bent over backwards and been really organised to get our fixtures at midday so they can play football in the exactly. morning if they want to on a Sunday. And that's all it took. Know your customers. I mean, yeah. I will say one thing about youth rugby, which is a little bit different. I mean, Talk H needs two, three coaches for the men's section, and that will go from anyone age eighteen and over. They need what you need. You guys have probably have three coaches, do you? Uh, three at any given session, but there's five. There's five of us that make sure yeah. we cover it off. But then you know you might need another five for under sixteens, another. Yeah. So you, you do need more bodies for youth team rugby. Yeah, but fair. no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Just build the pro- build the proposition. Yeah, so- and and that is uh, out of this situation. I, I I'm I'm with you that I think this can be a positive, and we should start rather than just bemoaning everything. And we talk about this a lot. The the campaigning, the end, the endless self-flagellation that rugby has. Actually, yeah, we do. This is a wake-up call, and this is a oh, because this isn't just the elite level struggling financially. This is the grassroots level struggling to compete with other sports in the yep. local area and to and to get people to turn up to a clubhouse and and have a beer on a Saturday. It's actually yeah. So go back to basics and ask yourself these basic questions because I'm gathering that most people listening, I would expect, are, are involved in at some level of the game in some way, get stuck in, get involved. Yeah. And try and work out what the solution is for your club because rugby's going to be here, whatever happens. Correct. And rugby is thriving in many places. And if it isn't thriving where you are, what can you do? And that, and I'll, I'll, I'd say that to... I wouldn't say that to Derek Richardson because he's a lovely man and um, and he knows what he's talking about. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but this, it's the same conversation for the elite level and the grassroots level. Yeah, just going back to the Premiership, let's look, put our rose-coloured glasses on, rose-tinted glasses, and say, imagine if we got onto a 10-team league. Now, that means someone else has got to go, but I'm willing I'm willing to sacrifice them. Um, who, would you, who would you call? Newcastle? The weakest financial team, whoever that is. Okay. So whoever doesn't want to be there... Everyone has to open their books and, and go, well... It's like, Donald, yes. it's like Donald Trump or Alan Sugar on The Apprentice. You're fired. Exactly. Well, I, you know, I did allude to this on another podcast, but if I was the RPA, I would have done something like this a long time ago. And yes, I did say the RPA. They they tell me it's not their job. I disagree with them. I think it is their job. So I think one of the things the RPA should be doing is reviewing the clubs from a financial strength point of view with a simple questionnaire, 
demanding that the clubs open their books to them in this questionnaire and sending in supporting evidence. And if they don't do it, they mark them down. And they should issue a table. And on this table, there should be a percentage from uh, the very... Uh, so the most stable clubs to the least stable clubs. And just circulate it among, among the agents. And they just say, OK, this club is less stable or they haven't dis- disclosed their financial plan. You should be looking to charge them 10% extra for your for your services. Because there should be a risk premium attached to whichever contract that you sign. If you want to go and sign for Worcester, that's fine. You do that. You're either going to be a lesser player who's who's getting paid more for his lesser talents, or you're going to be a market rate player who's going to get paid twenty five percent premium. Just to just to jump to an individual case, Vincent Cox agent. Uh, this wasp <laughs> stuff was not unknown. It was not unknown, was it? I hope Vincent Cox has got adequately uh, compensated for this the other thing the rpa should do and i've had dom dominic day goodness me chris uh, christian day on rugby dungeon he said on the rugby dungeon that that salary should be kept private because it's private information well i think they should change their stance so the two bits of information that the rpa should give out should be um or sorry they shouldn't give out because it's not theirs to give out but they should lobby their members to agree to disclose their salaries in a table so everyone knows how much everyone is spending and then the next part would be the 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 financial success score and the only way i can describe this it's like any other union providing its members with information about their future employers which is what unions do that's literally you know one of their one of their jobs and with that they can lobby for better pay and better conditions and uh, honestly if 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 someone could piece together a combination of all of the podcasts where we've talked about our ideas for the game, the the multi-round oh, simultaneous, simultaneous auction draft. Yeah. Dra- draft process. Simultaneous, that's it. Multi-round simultaneous auction. Uh, as a kind of draft type process. Um, and when there was no crowds, or even if there is crowds, playing it on the Queen Elizabeth yep. aircraft carrier. Perfect. Or in front of the Taj Mahal, or whatever the case may be. If you piece together all those, all the knock-on, trialling the knock-on rule, no knock-on well, yeah. rule. Well, yeah, we talk about having a commissioner. A Dana White character. I mean, he's not everyone's, everyone's cup of tea granted, and he's styled for the fight audience, which is different to the rugby audience. It's not as family-friendly. But imagine if you had someone at the helm of rugby with his drive. When COVID hit, he thought, how can I get around these rules? I'll buy an island. I'll buy Fight Island. That's the sort of drive that you need to get these things done. And that's the sort of individual that we need at, at the head of the organisation. Someone would drive who wants to get stuff done, not someone just sits around taking orders from the Department of Media, Sports and Culture. Or, yeah, or and I wonder, and in hindsight's twenty twenty, but we, I mean, the podcasts are there. Anyone can go back and listen to what we were saying. But I wonder if the powers that be in rugby are looking back two years and thinking... Oh, we were the last sport back. Yeah. How did we and mess this up? How did we mess this up so badly? And look at the state our yeah. professional clubs are yeah, in. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be a tactical genius or a political genius. It just needs someone with, with with a little bit of drive. Anyway, back to 10 teams. Yeah. Less rugby, higher quality. Once we've distributed the the Worcester and the Wasps players, just just the English players, I guess, amongst the Premiership, this. I mean, the strength of these squads. I mean, already there's 100 professional players out at work. Now, that doesn't sound great, and it's not great, but then you have to ask if we're going to play a whole season this year. And if you were Vulcaning it, if you were just being a Vulcan, you'd go, well, that that, that happens. It's tough. It's really tough. But, you know, the quality of these squads is going to go up. 
if the salary cap goes up fully or gradually, the, the quality of these squads are going to go up. Ten teams in the Premiership, you would get some mega, mega squads. Mega squads. And we could have far less games. Six less games each a season already. That's huge. Particularly when we're missing the England players for 11 games. So, percentage-wise, they're going to be missing... a far fewer games than they otherwise would this is what we need we need all the best players playing as frequently as as frequently as possible this might be the way forward I'm making you commissioner for the next to answer just to just purely answer this one question forget the opening the books thing what what to you would logically make the most sense to kick another if you had to open the trap door for one other club I'm I'm not avoiding your question yet I am I want to see the business plans. Mm. I want to see. I want. You've got to show me the numbers. You've got to show me how sustainable you are, and you know what you're getting in through the turnstile. How much you're spending on you spending on on your marketing, all of that sort of stuff, and then we make a decision. Now, I don't think it is feasible to go ahead with a league with odd teams. I think we are learning this the hard way. It yeah. makes no sense, does it, no, to have a bye week on your first week? No, there's no competitive advantage. It makes sense to have say. 10 teams and then some weekends only have four games that makes sense and have some guys resting can completely see that in the mid-season I think that'd be really valuable but it makes no sense to have someone resting on the first weekend and and the last weekend that's got to go that's got to go so we need we need even numbers but who that team would be I do not know and of course Ealing Cornish Pirates Doncaster they might be looking and thinking well this is an opportunity if they expand but yeah, if you were being, if I was being purely Vulcan about this, uh, I want a route to the top, and I like the ambition and the the incentive being there. And it feels a little bit unfair to the clubs that just happened to have been Premiership clubs at the time when the Premiership was formed, and they then get all of the spoils. And it, it kind of feels like, um, and, all, and, yeah. it kind of feels like a rugby aristocracy but, where your bloodline is what got you there, not merit. But what are the spoils? I mean, do Talk H have less to shout about as a playing base and say, Burnage up the road because Burnage pay and Talk H don't? I mean, are you, is this panacea of premiership rugby actually even worth it? Do the fans? I mean, the fans might say, "Yeah, it'd be great to win Europe, and it would be great to go to go to go to Toulouse." But to get there, you know, you're having to employ players that are not from the area, which is not necessarily a problem, but it might not be uh, within the culture of your club. You might lose something in your club, um, you know, either historically or you know, the atmosphere. There's a lot to be in a professional rugby. So what club. I would say is, yes, I, I take that point. But what I would say is, the rest of rugby is constructed where you're all in a pyramid and it just means that there's a actually what what you're doing is taking off the top of the pyramid and moving it somewhere moving it somewhere else and you've got a little flat bit on the top of the the pyramid for everyone else and that it's because these clubs are only they're standing on the shoulder of all of the other clubs yeah well uh, no but, hang but, on you've got the pyramid the wrong way around because right at the tip of the pyramid is of course in, of course England yes and England is the thing which generates... International rugby, rugby is the only part of rugby that works. Yeah, you're right. So Twickenham's got to be you're right about that to support every, everything else. Premiership, the whole lot has got to be supported by England. So if you like, it's not a pyramid, it's an inverted py- pyramid. Now, well, And like you say, but decisions have been made where cash that's generated by the... Um, well, 
yeah, the, the the way that that money has been distributed and the choices that have been made, like championship, don't care about women's, you're going to get that money instead. Yep. England players, you're going to get it, but community coaches, you're gone. Yeah, I mean, you know my views. I'd regionalise the whole thing. If now, in the words of Klaus Schwab, we, sh- we shouldn't we shouldn't waste <laughs> this disaster. Um, yeah, regionalise the whole thing. I mean, how? I mean, I know Coldy are doing great things in the championship, but I would love to see all of these teams around the northwest really get really get into each other. I think like a Cornish league would be great. I think a London league would be great. And if you want to have your international your national exposure, join the cup. Because the cups would mean something, and I said, what else would mean something? County rugby would mean something again, and that would be awesome to see, Lan- mm. to, to, to see a resurgent, full strength Lancashire. You know, maybe I'm harking on back to the old days, but some of these amateur structures do work. And one of the th- areas I might have changed my mind, not changed my mind a little bit, but you've got all this concussion debate at the moment, and you've got vultures circling the game. And one of the reasons they're circling in is because of the money. Well, if we take away the money, they've got no- they've got nothing to circle for. So the less money in rugby, the better. And if the pro game needs to reduce a little bit or take a step backwards whilst they sort out all these legal complications before it goes forward, so be it. I'm not I'm not adverse to that. Mm. Well, there you go. That, that's our two pennyworth. worth. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm be fascinated and I'm waiting with bated breath for Sunday when Phil can uh, chip in on this. When hopefully we'll have... Six, rug- uh, five, six rugby games. Uh, yeah, six rugby games. We'll to have talk about a number least. of rugby games. And well, we'll have one, one bye week. Worcester won't play. Do you not think Worcester will play? Huh? I need to go and rearrange my effort. fancy rugby draft team. Oh, fantasy rugby drafts in all sorts. I mean, how 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 does one play fantasy rugby draft? I think nowadays? I think that, I think we should just like they should come up with a system where we can just redraft with that with again start I again. <sighs> Madness, isn't it? Well, we will own no players, and we will be happy. Yes, exactly what we'll do. We'll yeah. do, we'll we'll imagine. We'll have to draft every week based on the players available. <laughs> what a, what a terrible system! Sorry, uh, fancy rugby draft. So between now and the weekend, contact chasers at gmail dot com. Uh, give us your thoughts, and then um, and, and then maybe we'll have a, a a special. Maybe we'll do a money and a rugby episode on the weekend as well. Oh, so, uh, sorry, mate. Sorry, on. what's happened? Statement from Wasps Holding Limited. Would you believe it? Right at the end of the podcast. Due to the impending threat of action from HMRC, Wasps Holding Limited, the ultimate holding company of the group including Wasps Rugby Football Club and Coventry Arena Limited, have taken the difficult decision to file a notice of intention to appoint administrators in order to protect its interests. This measure does not mean the business is in administration, but provides a, a crucial period of grace to continue negotiations with a number of interested parties to secure the long-term future of the group. These negotiations have been going on for some time, are in advanced stages, and we are hopeful of securing a deal. In the meantime, the day-to-day operations of the business are unaffected and we will continue to support our players, staff, supporters, bondholders and suppliers bondholders, uh, and keep them fully updated during what we appreciate is an unsettling time. Mm. A.K.A. it's over. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what they're looking to... Are they looking for a deal with, from HMRC there? I, you know, I'd have to read that again. But yeah, that is the official statement from Wasps and we are... At nine fifteen, and that came out at nine o'clock, I believe. Nine nine, nine o'clock. So that's the latest on that. Does what? that sound like something more hopeful or le- or not particularly? It's just the start of a process. Mm. 
just the start of the process. Yeah, it would have been handy to have had that at the start of the pod. Yeah, it would have been handy to have that at the start of the season, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, not a bad shout. Uh, but there you go, contact at gmail.com, let us know what you think. Okay, bye-bye. <sighs>